You're listening to The Slam, a national club golfer podcast. A major champion, more than a dozen tour titles and a three-time Ryder Cup winner. And those are just the highlights. To borrow the cliche, there isn't much Graham McDowell hasn't done in golf. Now 41, the popular Northern Irishman sat down with me for this episode of The Slam to discuss growing up in the game, his college career and why he chose life in the US over home comforts. And of course, he gives us a fascinating insight into that US Open win at Pebble Beach, as well as the roller coaster ride that is his Ryder Cup career. A future captain, don't bet against it, but there are other goals in his sights before that. Now, a quick disclaimer before we start Graham was connected to a hotel Wi Fi, so as you can imagine, the connection was a bit dodgy at times, but I've done my best to edit that out, and hopefully, it doesn't spoil your enjoyment of what was a really interesting listen. Graham, always a pleasure to chat to you. Thank you for joining me on the NCG podcast. Thanks, Alex. First of all, let's let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you how you got into golf. Yeah, I mean, I think I was very fortunate to grow up, you know, uh, where I grew up, up in the north coast of Ireland at Port Rush. Um, you know, the inevitability of kind of playing the game of golf at some point in my in my life uh, was was always kind of on the cards and. You know, my dad took it up late in life in his, in his late 30s. And uh, I remember kind of the early days kind of, you know, pulling pulling his trolley around the, uh, around the valley and kind of trotting around after him. And I just kind of, you know, had that kind of burning desire to kind of hit shots myself, you know. And um, when we eventually did sort of get old enough to start hitting balls, I just, you know, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the um, just that, that search for improvement. You know, I felt like... Uh, I, you know, I always enjoyed kind of, you know, being on the range and, and, and just working on, on, on my game and, and just getting better, I suppose. And uh, you didn't need anybody else to do that. You know, it's not like, you know, football or, or, or like a team sport where it requires a certain amount of people to, to interact with you, I guess, in tennis, you know, you need someone to hit it back to you, right? So, I mean, the great thing about golf is you can just go out there and just grind yourself, you know, and... Uh, like I say, having the access to the facilities like we did at Port Rush and, and the range and the golf courses and the, the, the great, um, we, we had a great junior section. We had about 15, 20 kids running around every summer. Some of them were very good and a few years older than me and kind of set the, set the bar to where I wanted to get to. And then a couple of them played internationally for Ireland. And I'm like, that's where I want to get to. And then they went to college in the States and I'm like, that's where I want to go. And you know, the next step was turning pro really, you know, so it was, it was a great upbringing. It was, um, you know, I think we're very fortunate in the UK and Ireland that um, the game of golf is so affordable, um, you know, living, living in America now, um, you know, in a country club where, you know, the annual dues are not for the faint hearted, you know, it's like, I think, I, you know, I look back and, and think that, you know, if, if the game of golf had been that way for my parents, I'd have never played the sport, you know, uh, we wouldn't have afforded, you know to to be able to do it you know so we were 
very fortunate to have that ability and, and that access. And, uh, you know, I think it helped me, it helped give me the opportunity to get to where I am today, which was, which was nice. Is there a moment where it, where it just clicks and you think, yeah, I'm good enough to do this for a, for a living? You know, it's funny. I, um, I never had a lot of exposure to the professional game when I was in my teens. Um, I had a lot of exposure to the amateur game. Um, there was a great tournament held up in Port Rush every summer uh, called the North, North of Ireland Championship. And um, the best players in Ireland would come up. You know, Darren Clark came up in those days and McGinley and Harrington and uh, Gareth McGimsey was, uh, was one of the best players in those days. So, you know, I always saw the best amateurs in Ireland, but I'd, I'd never really been to a professional golf tournament until I think about 2000, I played the Shell Houston Open. Um, because I won a big event back in Ireland that you know had a shell association, and they gave me an invite to play the PGA Tour. And I'd never been to a PGA Tour event in my life, and boom, here I was playing in it. You know, so yeah. you know, I think college golf was was the turning point for me. I, I believe that um, I was a good player, but I wasn't good enough um, when I was eight, seventeen, eighteen. I, I think college golf was the bridge for me. It was the bridge that took me from my late teens into my early twenties and, and kind of raised me to a level where I was, I was ready to go, you know, sort of, you know, starting to play on tour. Um, you know, I won once my first year, I think I won three times my second year. And then my last year, you know, playing college golf in the States, I won six times and I was the number one ranked player, you know, in division one golf out there. And it opened up some doors for me. It opened up some, some invitations in Europe, you know, I got some starts, European Open, the Irish Open, uh, the Scandinavian Masters, I think, was my my fourth start. And I was lucky enough to win. And, uh, you know, the rest, the rest was kind of great from there. I never had to mess around with Q school or anything, anything like that, because, you know, golf is golf's a very unique sport because you can be a great player and never, ever make it to the big stage because you know, if you're, if you're a great young footballer somewhere in the world, there's a chance that a team somewhere will pick you up and give you your shot. Right. I mean, I live in America and, you know, you have, you know, football, basketball and, and baseball are the three big sports. And I mean, if you're great, you will be picked up and you'll be given a chance in golf. It doesn't matter how great you are. You have to carve your own path. You have to, you know, put the scores in at the right time, hold the putts at the right time. And maybe, you know, you get fortunate enough and you'll make it out on the PGA Tour, the European Tour, the, the big stage where you can have the opportunity to, you know, fulfill your golf dreams. Now, while in, in the past, it was always sort of the, the cream of European Tour golfers that would go over and play in, in, in the US. Um, it's obviously a lot more commonplace now. I mean, for you, was it always the dream to play stateside? I mean, obviously, you went to college there. Um. I don't think the financial gap was as big 15 years ago. You know, I, I feel like, you know, this is not meant in any way disrespectful to the European tour. I mean, financially, the gap's just so huge now, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, the FedEx cup and, you know, the fact that we play, you know, the PGA tour plays for $7 million, $8 million every week. We're here from one of the Rolex series event. It's a great purse. You know, you're like, wow, we're, yeah, we're playing for a huge amount of cash this week, but that's like, every week in America, it's just it's insane. Right. But, um, I think, you know, I think when it was, when it, when it was a little bit more pure, you know, when I was a 25 year old, you know, when I say the word pure, I mean, 
it was really about what I was trying to achieve in the sport. I didn't, I didn't play the sport to get rich. I didn't play the sport to have a nice house and have a nice car. You know, this, I, I played the sport because I loved it and I loved being competitive. Um, um, you know, so in my twenties, did I want to, there was something about America. There was something about college. There was something about kind of, I bought a house in Florida when I was about 25. I just, I don't know. I like the lifestyle. I liked something about America. And uh, I was always one of those, you know, I, I think it was the small town, the small town thing for me. You know, I grew up in a small town in, in Ireland. And I think you, you're either one of those people that wants to leave or you're one of those people that wants to stay, you know, and I think I always like to travel. I always like being on the road and kind of like new cultures and new, new environments. And I, and there was something that I loved about America. You know, I guess what, there's a long winded way of saying I didn't move to the PGA tour because of money. I, I didn't move there because of the purses. I moved there because there was just something about, I mean, obviously it's an easier travel lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think nowadays my, you know, I, when I, when I think about the amount of travel I did in my 20s and early 30s compared to the amount of travel I do now, I mean, it's, you know, I probably did five times more air miles back in those days when I played mainly in the European tour and you're like Asia back four or five times a year, Australia, you're all over the place, you know, and um, nowadays it's it's 80 percent, you know, kind of landlocked in the U.S., and then I'll, you know, jump around, I'll come to the Middle East a couple of times, I'll go to Europe maybe once or twice. You know, having three kids, I mean, that 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 suits my lifestyle better now, you know. And and, and like I say, coupled with the fact that I think, you know, the, the obvious financial gap between the two tours is, is is there nowadays. But it but it wasn't about that for me 15 years ago when I made that move and I and I felt that I felt that pull to be in America, you know. So it's uh, like I say, there were very different reasons now versus versus then, you know. Let's go to Pebble Beach and a, a week in your life. I'm sure you never tire of talking about. Now that week, the odds were stacked against you and, and every European really going into the event because it had been 40 years since the last European winner uh, of the US Open. It was more than 60 years since the last uh, Northern Ireland major winner. So, does I'm trying to think how to word this question properly? Does does history play on your mind when you go into an event like that? You know, I think that um, it, it was a weird one for me because it was something that I didn't realize till afterwards. I, I didn't, I didn't realize there had been a little bit of a U.S. Open curse kind of like developing for European players. You know, so I feel like I was, I was at a point in my career where I was still <clears throat> working out how to do it. You know, I, I, I believed that I was good enough to win a major championship, but I didn't think that I was ready. You know, I didn't think that Pebble was my week. Um, Pete Cowan, my coach at the time, will always say to you that I looked him in the eye that week and I told him that, you know, I had a big event in me. Like I, I was that, that I believed that I was going to win a major championship. I don't think I I didn't say that to him that week because I thought that that was my week. I, I, I felt like it was simmering, you know, the 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 I, I knew I was going to have a chance at some point. Um but Pebble just kind of came at me out of nowhere, really. I mean, it was kind of, uh, I played really well on Thursday. I played fantastic on Friday morning. Um, you know, I found myself sitting with a two, three shot lead going into the weekend. It was like, whoa, okay, this has happened. This is now, this is my chance. And, uh, you know, it was a good setup for me that week. It was firm, it was fast. The greens were 
were tricky to putt. Um, you know, I was in a really, really strong vein of putting around that time. And, uh, you know, the goal, like I say, the course just set up really well for me. And, um, you know, the, the whole history of the 40 year thing, like I say, it didn't really strike me until afterwards. And, you know, when I, you know, when I realized I was the first Irishman to win a U.S. Open, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty, that's special. Uh, and then, you know, to break that 40 year kind of European tour curse, you know, European player curse, which the floodgates open, right. I mean, Rory and Justin and Keimer and, you know, it was, uh, they just kept kind of coming after me, you know, and, uh, it was uh, fantastic, but, um, no, I don't, I don't remember having that thought thinking to myself, you know, is this going to be the week that we break this drive? It's, uh, was something that kind of came up afterwards. I mean, you said there that you led by two going into the, um, the third round. And then, of course, DJ shoots that 66 uh, and, and you find yourself trailing by three. How does your mindset switch going into that final round? Was there a number in your head that you thought, right, if I shoot that, I've got a chance here today? Yeah, you know, Saturday was a, was a strange day for me because I had all the pressure on me going out on Saturday. Um, I felt like I'd slept on this lead. I felt like, you know, I think my tea time on Saturday was like 3.50 in the afternoon so I mean I'd never had the, I'd, and I'd finished early on Friday so I'd never had a wait like that leading a major championship the anticipation building I'd never really experienced that before and um, first time ever playing with Dustin Johnson that afternoon and I'd obviously kind of heard the rumors and he'd won the AT&T at Pebble earlier that season and uh, it was a tricky afternoon I think he shot 66 and it was just so impressive you know I was like man how good, how good is this guy? And he, he hit iron onto the fourth green, the par four. He, he hit like a two iron on the front edge. And I was just thinking to myself, holy shit, how good is this guy? You know And I mean? Now, all of a sudden, it was like kind of role reversal. I, I feel like I, gr I ground out a really good level par on Saturday. Um, but I, I remember thinking to myself Saturday night, you know, the pressure kind of felt like it was off because I felt like if Dustin Johnson – of Saturday showed up on Sunday that, you know, we were all playing for second anyway. So in a funny way, Saturday was my, was my nervous day and Sunday felt slightly easier in comparison because, um, you know, I felt like I was the chaser again and uh, well, three hole only took three holes to kind of switch that, switch that rhetoric to, to not to be in the chase again. But in a, in a way I was ready for it. I, I felt like Saturday was the, was the big character building day. So obviously emotional scenes on the final green, just talk us through that winning moment. And obviously you're a, you're a, a, a husband and a father now, so I don't want to get you into trouble, but uh, has, has anything topped that moment in your life? <laughs> um, you know, as far as like the relationship with my father goes, um, you know, to have him there on Father's Day. I mean, it's 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 just a special bond that's been forged between us forever. You know, I've been close to my, you know, I'm very lucky. I've, you know, very close relationship with my parents, and um, you know, to to be able to share something like that with them. You know, especially my dad who brought me into the sport. You know, you know, it's definitely one of the one of the more special. You know, very tough to top that emotionally. I mean, you know. I'm creating my own special moments with my own kids now. So um, it's very different, but uh, you know, being, you know, 72nd hall, one of us open at Pebble beach on father's day with my dad at the back of the green. I mean, that's, uh, that's pretty cool stuff. So, um, you know, I, uh, we went back about four years later and played the AT&T together, which was really, really cool to kind of return to the scene of the crime. Um, 
but uh, no, very, very cool moment. And uh, I bet there was some party afterwards. Yeah, they, they, they tell they tell me it was a great night. Um, I think we were at, <laughs> we were up at uh, we were at, there, there's an Irish bar in Carmel called Brophy's. Um, it was Caddy headquarters for the week, and um, you know I don't think I got done. Yeah, the, the tea times were so late because we were kind of going prime time on the East Coast, and I think by the time I got done with my own kind of all the media that you have you do afterwards, I think it was around ten o'clock. I got a couple of glasses of champagne, and it was like putting putting kind of petrol on a fire that was already kind of starting to burn inside me you know i you know the adrenaline and the fatigue i suppose and the emotions that go with something like that it doesn't it doesn't require a lot of alcohol to get you in a pretty uh, a pretty happy place you know so um yeah we ended up up in brophy's irish pub in carmel we had a good time yeah my potter harrington was there my caddy and obviously my dad and a bunch of people were there it was pretty fun you thinking at that point, right, come on, let's go and win a couple more majors. Because if you look at the records, only a third of all major winners have actually won more than one. So is it more difficult to win your first major than it is your second major? Yeah, it depends who you are, you know. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Tiger Woods didn't have any problems, but, uh, you know, Rory McIlroy, guys like that, but... Um, Listen, like winning a major championship is really hard anyway. So, I mean, to win two is, is, is ultra difficult. I, you know, lucky enough to kind of um, have, you know, I think 2012 ended up being the best year I've ever had in the major championships with, um, I was in the last group at Lytham. I was in the last group at Olympic. Um, I finished top 15 to Rory at Kiowa. And uh, I had my best finish ever at Augusta, which was like 12th or 13th as well, you know, so... I kind of feel like I had I had my shots. Um, Olympic, especially, I you know I, I think if you'd have been hitting the bunker shots for me that day on Sunday at Olympic, I might have had a better chance. So you know, I, I even with mediocre bunker play that day, I, I I probably should have at least been in a playoff, you know, at the U.S. Open. But um, you know, I had my chances, and you know, as I sit here, you know, forty-one years old, I you know, one of my big ambitions for the next five or six years is to have a couple more shots at trying to win a major championship. You know, it would be very nice to get myself into that 25% of guys that have only have gone on to win more than one. That, that would be really special. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly very, very motivated. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very fit and healthy right now. And, 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 and motivated mentally, which is, which is key. And uh, love to give myself another shot. I don't think you'll thank me for reminding you that you're now a very similar age to what Darren Clark was when he got over the line at the Open. Of course, we're going back to St. George's this year. You got your eye on that one, on the claret jug? I mean, it goes without saying. Um, if I could if I could win one more golf tournament, the claret jug would probably be the one. You know, I think, uh, you know, having it having it at Port Rush there a couple of years ago and watching Shane win and coming down that last fairway, it's uh, to me, it's the greatest walk in golf. The, the, you know, I've said it many times. Uh, walking down the 18th fairway at any open championship venue and the noise and having those, having that grandstand full, it's a special walk. It's, it's the greatest walk in golf, and I'd love, I'd love to do it one time with a claret jug waiting at the end of it. That would be, uh, that would be a great, that'd be a great way to kind of put a little uh, exclamation mark on my on my career. And, and it's something that um, I'll be working hard to try and do one of these next four or five years. 
Right, let, let's just talk about the Ryder Cup because we can't skip it. Um, I think f- for anyone that's had sort of three or four Ryder Cup appearances like you have, like I don't think anyone's had quite the roller coaster that you've had. Um, <laughs> obviously, you were a rookie in 2008, first of all. I've been rookie. I played in the last match. I fit the first tee shot at Madonna. Um, you know, kind of did the whole did the whole kind of veteran, put my arm around a rookie kind of situation. So um, in four opportunities to play Ryder Cups, I've, um, you know, certainly had some some amazing experiences. In 2008, your performance, your personal performance was one of the few positives to come out for, for Team Europe. What was it like being on the inside? Because if you were on the outside, like I was, I've, you've only really got the, the press coverage to rely on. Um, and if you're relying just on the press coverage, you're probably looking at it and thinking it's a bit of a shambles. What was it like to actually be on the inside, especially as a rookie? Um, you know, every Ryder Cup that I've played has been so special in many ways. And, and, and I look back at 2008. Yes, there was a lot of negatives there. Obviously, we lost. Um, there were There were kind of, you know, potential dramas inside of the team itself. But um, like for me, with kind of unspoiled eyes and kind of, you know, surrounded by some of my heroes, um, you know, like you say, played pretty well. I won two and a half points from four. I won my singles. Um, I loved it. I loved it. It was everything I hoped it would be. Um, and in a way, and in a way, it kind of, it gave me the belief that I was good enough on the big stage. You know, it, it, it helped me, it helped me kind of get to, you know, Pebble and winning the U.S. Open perhaps, you know, so it gave me that, it gave me that belief level that I was good enough to, uh, to perform on the, uh, at the highest level. Now, happier times in 2010, of course, and you're a newly crowned major champion, you're heading into your second Ryder Cup and on home soil. How did that experience in terms of the atmosphere, captain, teammates, how did that differ before we get to uh, that part, of course. You know, it was amazing. It was only two years, but like my journey as a player had just, you know, had taken such a, such a kind of a, you know, it really kind of accelerated, you know, off into the stratosphere regards kind of the type of player that I, I was. I mean, from 2008, you know, I won a couple of tournaments, got myself on the team. And then 2010, you know, I'm, I'm one of the best players in the team from a world ranking point of view. And, uh, that was very different. Um, I mean, obviously the weather at Celtic Manor was horrendous. That that, that kind of didn't help the uh, didn't help the build up a little bit. But um, you know, Montgomery was fantastic. Uh, it was great, kind of feeling like one of the leaders in the team. Um, uh, and and it was it was a great weekend. You know, I felt we had such a good team, such a good camaraderie there as always. Um, you know, certainly the four Ryder Cups I played. Um, it's just the vibe inside of the team room. You know, just great camaraderie, great, great chemistry, great guys. The best players have a phenomenal ability to, to bring the rookies and the new guys up to their level and kind of create the, create the mood to where they can perform at their best. You know, you think about how a lot of our rookies have played over the years, you know, I mean, Nicholas Colesurge comes to mind at Medina, the Molinari's obviously at Celtic Manor. Um, our rookies have always played well, you know, at Ryder Cups. And I think that's an important element to what we do really well as European uh, Ryder Cup players. Now, obviously, that summer of 2010, you've got the US Open win and then you've got the, the winning part of the Ryder Cup. I mean, d- did you just feel untouchable at that point? Well, I certainly felt reasonably bulletproof when the putter got in the hand, that's for sure. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I... 
obviously I played some great golf and, and, you know, it was, it was definitely one of the richest names of form in, in my career for sure. Um, you know, golf always feels hard to me. It never feels, you know, there's very few times in my life where the game has felt really easy, you know, because it is a hard game. And, uh, you know, with that, that year, you know, I had a very reliable kind of cut going on. I could aim it down the left side of fairways and, you know, swing left and it never felt like a good go left. Um, I felt, you know, very, consistent the way I was ball striking but you know the putter was pretty deadly and uh you know it was one of those years where putts I just everything I seemed to look at pretty much went in the middle and uh, the, the putt on 16 you know to, to against Hunter I had you know people always talk about the putt but you know I, I probably hit one of my best tee shots of the day and I had a really good six iron in there at about 12 feet you know with all the pressure kind of riding on me it was um it, and, it, and it was a good putt as well. Um, but it, it was that, that, you know, that was a in regards emotional pinnacles in my, in my, in my golfing career. That was, that was the one, I mean, you know, I was very fortunate to, to win a, to win a major championship and, and then playing the last singles match with the match on the, in the space of about two and a half of each other and compare the way the two felt um, there's nothing quite like the way Ryder Cup feels simple as that. It's, um, you know, it's, it's back nine on Sunday, a major times, times 20. And it's, it's, it's a very, very special feeling. You touched on it very briefly just then. Obviously, you're putting your arm around a rookie. And in 2014, you, you were part of perhaps one of the most talked about partnerships, certainly in recent Ryder Cup history, when you and Victor Dubuisson teamed up. Um, and, and you only played two matches together, thrashing, uh, was it Mickelson and Bradley and then Walker and Fowler, wasn't it? So what, Victor's a very private and quiet person. There's no secret about that. What was he like in the team room to play alongside him? I mean, you famously said, I love this kid in, in one of those interviews you did. Yeah, you know, Victor, Victor is, a, is a really, really sweet kid, you know, and, and like, you know, he's, he's a little bit of an, an enigma, if you like, you know, it's super mega talented, um, you know, his personal life's got to be very complicated. Uh, I, I know it's complicated and, you know, he feels victimized by the French press and, and, you know, he has a lot of, he has a lot of demons, you know, we all, we all have our demons, right? I mean, I feel like Victor has a, has a few more perhaps than some and, uh, which is unfortunate, you know, because he is such a talented kid. I mean, remember that world match play at Tucson where he's getting up and down from the cactus and the rocks and, you know, he's such a talented player. And, uh, you know, it was great to have the opportunity to, to put an armor on somebody. It was my first time at a Ryder Cup where I was old enough and good enough to, you know, old enough to murder, you know, I wasn't needed for five, five, five matches for, for the first time and, and, and kind of good enough to where, you know, I had the type of personality and, and I think that's the key because not every, not every player has the personality where they want to get outside of themselves and help somebody else because there is so much intensity at Rudder Cup where taking care of yourself is hard enough. So have the ability to, to kind of want to, to, to take care of somebody else. And I think that helped me a lot. It helped take the pressure off me because I was very focused on kind of helping Victor enjoy his experience and get the most out of his game that week, you know? So it, it was nice. It was, it was a great, you know, I really enjoyed my experience. He played phenomenal. Um, you know, uh, like you said, I, like I said in the interview, you know, I love this kids because I was able to knock a few putts in and uh, it was, it was, a, it was a super fun experience, but um, you know, he, 
he, you know, he's a, he's a great kid. Um, I enjoyed the opportunity to have a little bit of influence on him and his golf. Um, and, you know, it was a very, very memorable, memorable Ryder cup personally, again, you know, for, for different reasons completely. So, uh, I, I certainly look back on, on that one pretty fondly. Captaincy in your future. Uh, yeah, I, I'd love the opportunity. Um, you know, be, being a Ryder Cup captain is a really interesting one because, you know, you know, I look at Padraig Harrington, for example, you know, three major championships, phenomenal career. Um, if he goes and loses the Ryder Cup at Whistling Strait, like just hypothetically, I mean, listen, I hope he win. I hope he beat, you know, kill them. But um, if he was to lose the Ryder Cup, does that like, does that have an effect on who he is and what his legacy is in this game? It's a strange one because, you know, I feel like it has affected the legacy of maybe some captains, you know, American and European. Um, I, and I'm not sure that's fair. You know, it's Tom Watson at Glen Eagles, like, you know, like he's a, he's a, he's a champion. You know, he's one of the best players that ever played the sport. Like, you know, the way he handled the team room came under a huge amount of negativity. Like, end of the day it's about the 12 guys it's about who holds the pots right i mean what were you the captain sorry, has sorry to interrupt what were you when i was there when that i was in that press conference when that tom watson phil mickelson thing blew up like from a european perspective what were you thinking because it just feels like something like that would never happen in in our team room as it were i don't think so i don't think so i don't think we would uh i don't wow i mean listen i Probably wasn't until the next morning when we heard about it. Really, we probably we were probably kind of um, you know get getting our party on around the time the press conference was going on. But um, I mean, I I think listen, it's impossible to comment on what went on within the team room to prompt that type of response from a team. But uh, you know, to me, it comes down to the twelve guys, not the goods on the golf course the captain creates a culture and environment and, you know, puts the parents together and to kind of G the boys up a little bit. At the end of the day, it comes down to uh, the golfing hole. You don't get the job, and, you know, but uh, like I say, I wasn't in the same room. I don't know what happened, but um, it goes back to that whole thing. You know, do I want to be a Ryder cup captain? Yeah. You know, you know, I would just, it, it always kind of has that 3% element of doubt. Like, if I was to lose, what does that mean? What does that mean for me and who I'm, you know, who I'm remembered as in the sport, you know, but, uh, you know, thankfully I think, uh, you know, a guy like Porter Harrington, for example, his playing career is his playing career, whatever happens at Whistling Straits, like I say, I hope I'm there. I'm open playing. Hope we beat them. It'll be phenomenal. Um, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have any bearing. And I, and I know it won't because he'll be a great captain Win or lose, he'll be a great captain. And, uh, you know, I just kind of, I, I hate the situations like the Tom Watsons, you know, because he's a great, he's a great player. And he's a great champion. He's a great gentleman. And uh, who, who knows what went on. Tough, tough to say. I do like to finish um, my interviews with like a little sort of quick nine, quick fire questions, which are okay. sent in by various uh, friends and followers. So um, you don't need to go into too much detail, just, just quick fire answers. So who is the best player to never win a major? Um, I mean, you gotta say, you gotta say Westy, Westy right now for sure. Uh, okay, outside of the majors, which tour event do you most look forward to each year? 
Um, you know, I love the Players' Championship. Um, it's just one of my favorite golf courses, and I think it's just a great, just a great stadium. It's pretty cool. Uh, how many holes in one have you had, and when was your last? Um, I had one at Hilton Head last year in a practice round, so I think I've had about 14. What's your favorite golf course on the British Isles, and why? Um, I love Waterville, southwest coast of Ireland. I, I think I've played it twice. I felt like the sun shone both times, and I'm pretty sure I had a pint of Guinness on the 10th tee both times, and it was just... It was about. It was more about the company and the experience and the golf course combined, you know. I, and I think that's what golf is all about. It's about, it's about the experience, and I and I loved it down there. What's the one piece of advice you would give a mid handicap player looking to improve? Uh, just work on short game. Just get better. Get better around the greens. Get better out of the bunkers. Um, just learn to get the ball up and down, and that record, you know that means short game and putting. You know, putting from inside of ten feet. Just be better. You're in charge of golf for one day. Which rule would you change and why? Oof, good question. Um, I think just I think just general general kind of dress etiquette. You know, I think you know what's acceptable and what should be acceptable. You know, I think uh, I think the game needs to be more approachable. I think you know letting people kind of within reason wear whatever they want to in the golf course should be should be okay. Uh, okay. Next question: What's the best piece of golf equipment you've ever used? And you're not allowed to say anything that's currently in your bag. <laughs> best piece of golf equipment I ever used. I used to have this Mizuno hot metal forward. Um, had it in my bag in my late teens into my college days. And like, it was just my kind of, it was like my go-to. I think I carried like a strong three and it was like a strong five wood. That thing was just money. Loved it. <laughs> uh, if golfers came out to walk out music, what would you choose and why? <laughs> walk out music. Um, you know, when I, when I won the US Open, I listened to ACDC Razor's Edge every morning. Just when I was like getting out of the shower, and I don't know, like I like pump. I like a little, I like a little rock music, you know. I like a little pump up rock music, so something ACDC, Thunderstruck, or, or like I say, Razor's Edge, something like that. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not kind of player who needs that little bit of like I just need that little bit of energy in in, in my intensity. Brilliant. I've saved this best question for last. What's the strangest uh -oh. request you've ever had from a fan? Strangest request? Yeah. Like, like like signing babies, you know, it's like uh, when you sign my six-month-old baby's arm, you know, it's like, no. What are you going to do with that? No, no. Or, or like when, when like people like ask you to hold their baby, you know, for a photograph, yeah. it's like, I think until I had my own kids, I mean, I was like, like I, I, I'm not even sure how to hold them, you know, and obviously when you have your own kids, you get a bit more, you get a bit more comfortable, but uh yeah, anything to do with like babies and like signing babies and holding babies for photos always kind of weirds me out a little bit. I don't know why. At least social distancing has put an end to that, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely a few less weird requests nowadays. But, uh, you know, bring, bring that all back. Even if I have to hold babies for photographs, you know, let's uh, let's get the real world back again. Right. Right, I don't want to get in trouble with uh, the PR. So um, obviously you're back, <laughs> you're back in the Emirates for an 18th year. Um, how has that region grown in terms of golf as, as a hub for players and practice facilities? I've never been a big West Coast and the PGA Tour guy, even though you know I finished first in the US Open out there in a second and the US Open out there and I've won twice in Tigers event up in LA. 
no idea why I don't play in the West Coast of America more often because I seem to, I seem to make some money over there. But no, I've never been a West Coast guy. I, I love coming to the Middle East because you know what you're going to get. You're going to get perfect weather, perfect facilities, great golf courses. And, uh, you know, obviously the hospitality is something that's kind of grown here over the years, you know, back, back when we used to, you know, have that one Hilton that we stayed in close to the Emirates golf club. And now, you know, it's, you've got, you know, mega cities all over the place. It's, uh, you know, Dubai, especially Abu Dhabi, you know, starting to, you know, Saudi Arabia was my, was my first event down there last year. And I feel like that's somewhere that's going to, you know, that the area that we were playing in and the, you know, the economic city that's going to be built down there. It's, it feels like it's like a mini Dubai, you know, come back there in 10 years and it's just going to be unrecognizable. So, you know, I think, um, it's just such a great place to, to come and play the sport. They're passionate about it. They love it. And uh, they have the best of everything in this part of the world. So it's, it's a great place to come visit. Brilliant. Graham, I'll let you go. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me. And uh, best of luck for the rest of the year. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, man. Good talking. Cheers, mate. <laughs>